Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 105 of the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am still here in lovely Lander, Wyoming, though only for about a week longer. I've been training hard, getting prepped, both training-wise and getting my life in order for our big road trip that's coming up. I'm going to be in the red for a couple of months. If you guys are around, look me up. Then we'll be back in Lander for December to train, and then a couple of months in Waco, early 2019, where I've got some big goals. But you guys don't get that right now. More on that later. Like I said, it's been all hustle and bustle over here, and we've got some things to show for it. We just released our new circuit tape, which we feel is damn near the best training tape you can use. It's not your average tape, though. It has no adhesive which is one of the reasons we like it, actually. And you can learn more about it, if you're really curious now, at the link in the show notes in your podcast app, or punch it into your Googler. You can find it there, too. We've also got two new eBooks coming soon. Movement Skills for Climbers is a couple of weeks away. And wait for it, the Core Strength for Climbers eBook, I know you've all been waiting, comes out tomorrow probably a few days ago by the time most of you hear this. There's also a link to that right there in your pocket supercomputer, uh, not to the ebook directly, but to the page where it will be if you're one of those addicts who's listening on day one. And we've also got limited edition black on black muscle shirts coming very soon and very limited. I have them already right here in my grubby little hands, but no links to those yet soon. Be patient. All right. So most of you know that I pay fairly close attention to the outdoor climbing world. Uh, Not necessarily the minutia of who sent what. That isn't as important to me as the bigger concepts. And one I watch in detail is authenticity. It's one that's really important to me, so I pay attention. And I think in this increasingly over-mediated world where transparency isn't really always so transparent it's easy to misrepresent yourself um, you know sometimes by accident and and it's also really easy to misrepresent yourself on purpose and we 100% have some athletes in this community who do that and it can be hard to know who's who and someone I watch really closely actually is today's guest Sasha DeJulian. And to be honest, I watch her partly as a cautionary tale, trying to understand where the line of selling out is. And it's not that she has. I don't believe that at all. But it's because she's at the front. And if people are being accused of selling out, just like in every other sport, in music, in every art, she's one of those people because she's in the front who's being accused. And this summer I saw 
Sasha do something that really surprised me. And first, I applauded her. And then I met her at her house down in Boulder to discuss it further. But what I came off from this summer feeling was this surge of confidence that's made me feel a lot more connected to climbing than I ever have. be able to climb at kind of high stress for long volume would sure. be important. Yep. And you've got, I mean, you've built up a ton of skill on that lightly overhanging angle over a lot of years. So that isn't necessarily something you needed to shore up. Lightly overhung crimps is that's for sure jam. my strength. Yeah. I mean, like, throw me any climb that's, like, lightly overhung in crimps, and I'll project it and be super pumped about my my climbing ability. Yep. If I face a super steep compression climb, I'm, like, bump me down a few categories of my caliber. <laughs> well, you know what? The first time I met you actually was in uh, Hound Ears. Oh, yeah. In Boone at the Hound Ears comp. I think I was there to rap. I was there performing oh, at the party. Yep. That was and my claim to fame, you know, for a while. Like you were I'm in, an in one of song. O-Dub songs. Yeah, I remember. It should just be my sole Instagram profile <laughs> description <laughs> in a rap song. Well, that's actually how I, <laughs> that's also how I got hooked up with Maxim Ropes because I had, uh, Randy Levitt was in a song yeah. and I happened across his Maxim Ropes profile um, online and he said his claim to fame was that he was in an O-Dub song. Oh my God, And I just amazing. sent him a message like, this is the best day of my life, you know, you're <laughs> my hero. Um, but I met you on a boulder problem at Hound Ears and it was a steep little crimp problem and I had just struggled to do it. It was like V7 or something and felt like the hardest thing I'd ever climbed. And then here comes this like, 10 year old girl <laughs> and crushes it like it was nothing you know and she was like oh that was really fun and i'm like i don't know if i like this girl or not <laughs> you know i probably so. was so uh, <laughs> so unaware of other people's feelings at the time too <laughs> that i was probably like oh that was easy <laughs> no it was cool it was cool to watch because i mean I just enjoy seeing people climb well and enjoy climbing, period. Yeah. Um, but I've also seen a lot of people start really young, become these really bright talents, and then burn out and disappear. Mm-hmm. And I was worried that was going to happen to you for a little while. I, I thought maybe it would. But you've kind of shifted gears and become this different climber, um, which I really appreciate and I admire. And... And that's kind of a, a bit of what I want to talk about today, sort of through the lens of these, this trilogy you just did in Canada. And you had said in an interview that I read somewhere that you saw Sonny's article about it a while ago, and that's kind of what sparked the fire. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, just going off of that starting point, I think that the only way to really progress your career is to mix it up and change and kind of spread your breadth of knowledge within the sport in order to mm-hmm. evolve with the times. And um, my career has gone through ups and downs, like for sure. Um, and I think that the only thing that's maintained consistent is passion and, and enthusiasm about the community and climbing. Um, but I've definitely gone through stages where I've been less motivated or kind of lost direction a little bit. And in January, I was just coming off of a month of ice climbing and kind of project shopping, so to say, for mm-hmm. what it was that my goal Major for this project year. shopping. Ninja. Major project oh, major, shopping. yeah, major. Not like, <laughs> not like I'm just testing out some sport routes to see what I want to work on, but what's my next major project? Yeah, I think that like over the last few years, I've had a tendency to say yes to a lot of exciting opportunities. And I think that's the crux that you face as a professional athlete in general is that you have all of these asks coming from you from different directions. Right. And it's really easy to spread yourself really thin. And that was something that was a hurdle for me um, over, I think over the course of like being in university was just feeling like there was too much on my plate where I couldn't really dedicate my time to one thing. And so for the major project shopping, I was thinking I want something that I truly care about that I can focus my destination training plan on. So something that I'll train for, be motivated for, for this was January, end of January, early February at the time. And I knew that I could dedicate, maybe it was three to five months to train for a specific goal. So what was that goal going to be? And I was actually just walking through Whole Foods at the checkout counter. There was a rock and ice magazine of Sunny Trotter on the cover. And he was high off the deck on Blue Jeans Direct, which just looked like a really cool um, line that I was like in, like drawn to the photo. It was one of Tim Banfield's photos. Mm-hmm. And I threw the magazine in my cart and was like, oh, I want to read about this uh, at home. And because, you know, standing in the checkout line of Whole Foods trying to read a whole feature <laughs> article is kind of obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would be behind you scowling. Like, yeah, I'd be like, just like pay for your stuff and move on. <laughs> um, so I got home and I read the article, which was a really well-written article written by Sonny himself with mm-hmm. these photo um, portrayals of the different routes that the trilogy composed of. And I think that one thing that really appealed to me was that I've gotten more into big walls over the last few years. I just really like the whole adventure aspect of it. Like Mm -hmm. there's something about being up on a wall, being removed from all the chaos that's on the ground and kind of feeling like you're in it for that section of time. Um, But I'm also, you know, like a new dabbler in trad climbing. Like I'm not a 514 trad climber by any means. Um, And this was a called like a... 514 trifecta but all the 514 cruxes of these big walls were bolted so i was like right oh that's awesome that's limestone climbing i know how to do that so this actually seems like 
skill level wise, something that will challenge me physically, but I would be comfortable exposing myself to um, and be aware of, you know, systems doing a sport climb big wall aren't that complicated. And right. I've done a fair amount of them. So uh, I think that it felt like just the perfect amount of a challenge that would be physically demanding, mentally enticing, and then also just kind of like this full out adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I was pretty like, like uh, cinched from the, from just when I got that magazine. Yeah. It, um, you know, I like that you said you were looking for something that you care about because from the outside looking in at this project, I don't know why this one, uh, why it resonated with me differently than the media I've seen about you in the past. Maybe it's because the media wasn't as polished for this one. It seemed a little more authentic, you know? And, yeah. And I think it's tough for a pro climber who is, it's your job to create media and inspire people and and be filming and photographing all these things that you do. You know, that's part of your job. But it also can start to remove the the climber, the hardcore climbers, the serious climbers. It, it sort of removes them from the situation because they understand what's going on, that there's a camera crew there, that they're people organizing things and that's not climbing to a lot of people, you know? So maybe that's why from my perspective, this, this trip looked more authentic. I mean, you got in your car, you drove 20 hours to (laughs) Alberta and got a speeding ticket along the way. And (laughs) so it was like, it was like a climbing trip for, for the normal climber, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, to some degree. Not that norm, every normal climber doesn't go do the 514 <laughs> Big Wall trilogy. But No, you're, you're hitting a really important topic, which is like it's a really difficult balance that I've experienced firsthand with what, where you can find your medium ground of media attention, the way that you can't, I mean, something that I've learned is that no matter what you say to mainstream media and the the little lights of, or glimpses into mainstream media that I've had have been completely uncontrollable. And if you tell, let's say ABC or NBC, like network something, they're going to take whatever facts you say and make it more dramatic or make it more, right, right. um, maybe digestible to a larger audience that's not climbers, but Mm -hmm. along the way you're losing your core. Yeah. They sort of dumb it down and hype it up all at the same time. Yeah. Where you're like, wait, I didn't declare that. Right. And now it looks like I'm declaring that. And then people kind of, I think over the years, my skin's definitely become much more callous because they're, thousands of people who've never met you in person who are making judgments of you. And the only defense that you have is to be as real and authentic on platforms like social media, which I have such a mixed relationship with. And there's no way to please people who you're never going to meet anyways, other than try and try and appeal to them by being who you are. Um, But even that you're still going to be viewed as how you're caricatured by media, by what you do, by the accomplishments that you have, by people um, 
scoring what you've done in the last year versus right. your career overall. Yep. yep. Um, so I think especially over this year, I've come to a lot of like just reeling it in and, and trying to spiral inwards instead of spiral outwards and like feel the community of the people who are closest to me versus pe- the community in general of people kind of like looking from an outward glance inward. Right. I think you have to do that. You know, you have to retreat into your own bubble a little bit now and then, no matter how much media you're putting out just to keep yourself sane. Yeah. You know, I, I you just reminded me of listening to musicians talk and, you know, I was involved in the hip hop community for quite a while and I paid a lot of attention to the criticism of my favorite artists and, and I had the same criticisms oftentimes where I wanted their next album to be like their previous album, you know, but then when it wasn't, I'm upset that it's not the same album, but they're growing. They're, you know, they're growing and becoming new people. And it's very easy for people sitting outside to say, well, she's not climbing 14 D sport anymore, mm-hmm. you know, but, Maybe maybe part of that is that that's just not your focus anymore and that you want to do other things. And that's totally okay. And it's, I mean, it's kind of a shame that that's what we put onto our heroes and our idols and the people that we're watching on social media. Well, that's that's a really important thing to note is that there are so many different facets to climbing and the sport that we love means such different things to different people. And the path isn't always going to be linear. So when I'm getting more into big wall climbing, maybe that means I'm setting sport climbing and like single pitch hard projects aside for the sake of more adventurous experiences. And Mm -hmm. that to me is growth, but to other people, it may be stagnancy or backtracking. Right, right. Um, I, I think that's something that I've always approached with just in general with my life, like going to Columbia, I took, um, kind of like a four year dip in my exact like performance and climbing because sure. you're at an Ivy league school and, <laughs> you know, trying to perform there as well. So yeah, it's kind of like taking on two full-time jobs, but I think from the critics, they could see it as, well, you're not climbing, um, 514D during this time frame. But for me, it's, well, this is growth because I'm a human, just like everyone else. Um, And I want to expand my breadth of knowledge in different facets. So I think that um, what, what social media creates is kind of like you see, let's say 99 positive comments, one negative, you're going to remember that negative and let it resonate. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just kind of, like no matter how famous you are, no matter what you achieve, no one's bulletproof. And I think that negativity totally. affects people in different ways. I'm trying to get, um, I think that the people closest to me are who enable me to kind of see beyond negativity and just feel confident about myself. But um, as you know, like, I mean, this May, I went through that huge thing with like, uh, social media and that was just kind of like a a final straw to the this escalation of years of drama that I didn't choose to be a part of and that um I think led me to want to have also 
this trip in Canada where I was just removed and not a part of this big production, just doing my thing, connecting with the local climbing community and rock climbing, like simple. And that feels super refreshing. Yeah. I wondered how much that had to do with it too, because, you know, no matter how you feel about the situation that you were going through online, um, no matter how people felt about Joe's post versus your post, whatever, it's a shame that when someone stands up for themselves in public, they get hate because of it. Oh, yeah, it's that I mean, from a bird's eye. I don't quite understand that at all. Yeah, (laughs) from a from a bird's eye perspective, if you look at what's right and what's wrong, cyberbullying, in-person bullying, any any form of bullying is not correct. And there shouldn't be a a biasy to someone being well known than them not having the right to stand up for themselves. But also I think there's there's a huge responsibility of us that have audiences and in general as I think the shape of being a professional athlete or celebrity is changing in the way that we have these roles to take on that come with responsibilities of who we are, what we protract to other people as to our values, but also we have platforms to make differences. And if if my story of identifying something that I'm going through can make a difference, a positive difference for someone else, then that's worth taking the sacrificial like negativity that comes along with it. But I think that that whole kind of episode, I mean, it was, it was the first big um, like drama that I experienced in climbing that I was really like, wow, our community can be really harsh on, on both sides. You know, like I haven't even spoken really in person with Joe and I, I hope that one day we can find our common ground together. Um, in my opinion, what was done was I did what I believed was right. And after that, it was like, you know, I stand by what I did and the consequences were super harsh for sure. But there are also consequences that create change. And yeah. we all want a more positive environment for our community. And, and social media is such a, such a crazy phenomenon now that's not going away. And as athletes, like we have this responsibility to perform well, to be kind individuals and to be good representatives of our sport. Yeah. You're not only athletes, you're ambassadors as well. So, I mean, as long as that's part of the job title, then you have to honor that and be someone who is, you know, carrying out the values of the brand you're representing, including your own brand. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's super important to keep in mind. Um, and that's, you know, before we dig into these, these, this trilogy, that is something I definitely want to say that out of all of the people that I've interviewed, talked to, I mean, I've recorded probably 150 of these at this point. Um, you're for sure the person with the craziest schedule and you're one of the most like prompt in answering messages and being like, (laughs) being like, Hey, this came up. Can we switch this day? You know, as soon as you're finding these things out. And I appreciate that because I think it's, it, it speaks to the level 
not only that you're you're at in the climbing world in general, but just as an ambassador of all these brands that you represent, I think being a business person is part of being your own business, so to speak, you know? And so that means a lot to me. And I just want to let people know that that's the way it is because it's really easy to look on social media and just be like, Oh, she's just climbing all the time. So you yeah, know, how, I, how I hard is that? that actually, but I've seen your schedule, so I know what it's <laughs> like, you know? Um, I mean, I mean, there's really important aspect of time prioritization and I was just being genuine with, you know, if I have to change the time of us meeting, your schedule is just as important as my schedule. Right, so right. And when you, when you messaged me, when you texted me, it wasn't, hey, I can't do it. We have to do it at this time. It was like, hey, is there a possibility of switching? I have this going on that I, that I could do. What do you think? You know, so it was, it was very much a, a conversation and not just, I'm more important. Here's the schedule. Take it or leave it. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, that's super important. What I've learned through um, just even getting to know really quite high profile celebrities, so to speak, is like everyone's human and everyone has an agenda and everyone's schedule is busy, no matter if you're working several jobs to provide for your family or a professional athlete or an actor, like whatever it is that you're doing, um, everyone's time is valuable. So. Mm-hmm. Totally. And to keep along that track, I know I'm totally off the big wall thing right now, but I heard you in several interviews I've listened to recently talk about how grateful you are to have this life as a climber. And, and just recently I've been thinking more and more about this word grateful because, um, you know, I make my living in the climbing industry running my own business and doing something I really want to be doing. And I am grateful for that. But at the same time, it happens because I work my ass off, you know, and, and in having these conversations with you and figuring out this podcast, I can see that you work your ass off too. And I know the things that, that you end up on red carpet events and you're speaking at these places and you're you're doing all these things so i can see that you're working your ass off it's not just you're going climbing all the time well it's an interesting um complex that i've always had is i've never felt like i deserve what i have and i think that gratitude is such a strong foundation for feeling a sense of grounding and just um a catalyst to work harder because you know I come from a point of privilege. I grew up with a family that was very supportive of me. I had a good education. I had parents who really encouraged me to follow my passion. And as soon as I could, you know, I had my first endorsement deal, albeit small, when I was 12 years old. But by the time I was 17, I was making a living for myself and trying to prove that, yes, climbing is legitimate to... Um, my family in a sense of me wanting to provide for myself and be independent of the privilege that I felt like I had. Um, which is to say that it's it's always been hard. I think that's where critics saying that I, 
I have been given a lot or may may not deserve what I have is kind of resonates with this this insecurity that I grapple with every day. It's like, sure. you know, I live my dream job and I don't know how I ended up with it. Like I feel so passionate about being able to climb and go on trips and travel and like I'm not the best climber in the world. By no means do I want to declare that either. But I do know that I work hard and that's something that at least I can control that aspect and just put my best foot my best foot forward. And um what I've started realizing more and more over the time frame um of the last few years has been so what if you have been dealt better cards than someone else what's really important is that you give back and also make the most of those cards so i think that that's the only thing i can do is like there's always going to be a reason that i have more in my career for instance than maybe someone else who may be a more talented climber or um whatever it may be it's just I'm just trying to make the most of my life that I have. Yep. Sure. And I, you know, I appreciate you saying that or acknowledging that, that privilege to begin with for sure. Um, but don't sell your, your work short because I, <laughs> I know you're working your ass off here. And speaking of which, something like this trilogy requires working your ass off, you know? So let's talk a little bit about the three roots that make up the trilogy. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell me about them? Okay, so um, the first climb is called Warhammer, and that was First Ascent by Sonny Trotter. Um, all three of them were actually Sonny Trotter did the first ascent of, and no, all of them hadn't seen a second ascent. Um, so Warhammer is a lineup Castle Mountain, and it starts with this moat pitch, which he referred to as the moat because it's really, really chossy malleable limestone <laughs> right, rock right which is terrible um i actually went and climbed warhammer with mike doyle and right. i was so <laughs> happy that day because the day that we sent was kind of like this amazing magical moment of me not thinking that i was going to send uh just kind of going going for it unknown but also mike doyle who i've learned is kind of sandbags like his ability like <laughs> he's always like yeah i'm so far off from yeah. this project and then he like, does necessary evil or, like does whatever it is <clears throat> and like i whatever i don't believe you yeah um i think he's such a strong climber but also just such a good friend that it was really awesome to be able to climb this route with him. So we started out up the moat and the way that um, Warhammer breaks down is it encompasses castles in the sky and castles in the sky is essentially like the crux pitch of Warhammer. And it's this insanely exposed arete. It looks amazing. Yeah. It's uh, really exposed. And like the first time that we were on it, we were like, take yeah totally <laughs> in between each jaw because it's just it's like scary um it's just above all the tree lines on this arete um and the day we sent was definitely one of the windiest days ever that i've mm. climbed in uh, i think the mount washington topped it on windiness on uh, in new hampshire yeah but uh 
Well, that's like the windiest place <laughs> on the continent or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it was like a <laughs> blizzard. I did that at the, the gully with uh, Marcus in it in December, and I was like, wow, this is like extreme. Um, but obviously, like not admitting that it was extreme because I think he was like testing me a little bit. I'm sure he was. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you're also not perched on an arete. Yeah, yeah, you're not wall, like trying so. it. So that was uh, that was super exciting. And I also going into the trilogy, I had allotted three weeks for each of the climbs. Each, yeah. And so I thought that okay, so I'll go there. I don't want to go with a film crew, except I want to catalog what's happening. So I was just uh, contracting per diem for whoever it was that I was filming with, and. Mm-hmm. This was actually a neat process because I had control and ownership of the entire video. Right, um, right. So now I just am hiring an editor to piece together and taking on the producer role of how exactly I want to tell this storyline because it's cool. kind of something that, that was a, a personal uh, adventure for me. And, and it had all of these little hurdles built into it, mm-hmm. like... Going into the trilogy, my plan was originally to climb it with uh, Edu, and we had been kind of in like this on and off again relationship that leading into it right before we actually we broke up and then we were like maybe we'll try and do a climb together and then you know things just kind of fell apart like it you decided to do a climb together after you broke up (laughs) (laughs) did i hear that right yeah go and like spend some like many many hours back to back with your ex and that's gonna be a good idea in a really stressful situation yeah (laughs) So, like, I, I think that we both made a mutual decision of our friendship w- was came before the relationship ever did. And that was, like, I did my first big wall with him back in 2012 with Bella Vista and the Dolomites. Right, right. And we had kind of taken on this, like, annual do a climbing trip together. And then I finished school. We, like kind of tried dating, didn't work, like went on like that for like some time. Um, As it does. Yeah, exactly. But not to get too into details. Anyways, uh, we decided not, like it wasn't going to work to do any of the trilogy together. Well, Um, at, At that point, were you like, were you considering just ditching the whole project? Yeah, that was a really low point because I was like, well, I'm packing up my car to drive 20 hours. I don't know who my climbing partner is going to be. Right. Um, I also was like, I think I'll be gone for two months and needed to figure out where I was staying for the entirety Mm -hmm. of my project. I mean, Um, it's tough to just go to the crag without a partner. I I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I hate like showing up to the crag and kind of being like, Hey, can you get, can, can you somebody belay me? me maybe it's, like, super awkward. You kind of feel like the kid at like middle school looking for a place to sit and eat lunch where you want to be like with friends and like talking, but like, <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So then like asking people <clears throat> to go out on the mountain for 18 plus hours. Right. Like, exactly. Hey, can you belay me for met, 18 but... <laughs> hours? <laughs> <laughs> so luckily I did know like Mike, Doyle and Sunny, and mm-hmm. that was my starting point. Was like going out and trying Warhammer with Mike, and I also linked with a few local climbers. Uh, Alex Fr- Alex Fricker, I went out with one day and tried the climb. Um, so so collectively, I just did the climb way quicker than I anticipated. I 
did it on my fourth day out at Castle. Right. Um, and I hadn't sent the crux until our send go either. So we started down at the beginning of the moat, climbed through the, I think it's total 13 pitches, um, got to the bottom of the crux, which is 514A. And then I just like fired it. Um, was super excited about it, lowered back down on the static line to blame Mike. And then he sent it. So we were like freaking out at that point, but we still had a bit of the route to go, which was unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Mike stayed at the anchors and I jumared back up the static line, which was kind of epic because it was super, super windy. Right, just getting like, blown just all like over. like getting blown around on this, like just like <laughs> hanging in free air, this rut. Like, oh God, I hope my rope's not like hitting some sharp right, edge right yep. now. Um, and then we proceeded to just swap leads. So like the way that I've always kind of seen big wall climbing is if you're doing it with a partner, then you both should lead the crux pitch Mm -hmm. and then swapping leads. Like one person leads, one person follows, um, is, a a, you know, as long as you communicate what you're doing, that's been always my approach. Yep. Um, I think that's a fair way to do it for sure. Yeah, you can't really if if you're both sending, you can't expect to like both lead the five ten or five eleven, whatever. Um, but I think for like a five fourteen standalone pitch, you right. should both lead it. And then we topped out uh, and still had Eisenhower Tower, which is kind of like the finishing point of castle mountain and that we soloed which was actually super super sketchy <laughs> um <laughs> because it was really loose and right. like uh big like kind of limestone blocks and stuff that mm-hmm. you're grabbing and pretty vertical and it goes on for quite a bit like it's about like thousand vertical feet mm. um and then we rappelled down and got back to the car at about 5 30 a.m the next day wow so it was under 24 hours but it was definitely pushing like 22 yeah um did mike go back up for some reason he didn't that was on the shining okay so the next climb in the trilogy was on mount louis which is this i was wondering how you said it i'd only seen it in writing yeah and it could be Lewis or Louis or oh yeah, all I said Louise first, and then Louise, as soon as yeah. I got to Canada, I quickly <laughs> learned that I was describing the project completely wrong, and I was like, oh, that's awkward. There's a Lake Louise, right, which is where I've skied, and then there's a Mount Louis, which is uh, yeah, it's this insane beautiful sheer diamond feature to Mount Louis. Mm-hmm. And the only climb that goes up that diamond face is shining. And Tommy Caldwell and Sonny Trotter had put up the first ascent of the shining and then Sonny returned and did a direct link up of the shining, calling it shining uncut, right. which is uh, Mount Louis was definitely the most mentally overwhelming. It's like, the crux pitch, which is the 514, is 80 meters long. Right. He linked a bunch of pitches together to create Three pitches that pitch, together. Right? Yeah. And it's all really vertical, techie, smearing climbing. Right. So by Mentally the top. exhausting. I not, was like, not to mention my mind, feet. yeah, fried. Yeah. But I went straight into trying Mount Louis, not even taking a rest day <clears throat> after Castle Mountain. I'm curious. And, I'm curious about that, actually. Let me yeah. stop you. So you're way ahead of schedule. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, you allotted three weeks for Warhammer, and it took you four climbing days, so six days tops, something yeah. like that. Why jump right in? Why not rest a little since you're so far ahead of schedule? That's a great question with all the reason in the world in retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, totally. Good um, point. <laughs> it was that was part of the experience overall was the mental taxation of not ever feeling like this the accomplishment was over because I each climb that I did mm. I still had the next one looming over right right so after I did Warhammer where I would normally be super enthusiastic kind of felt like oh, okay now I'm more stressed because this overall project of the trilogy could real. actually be possible yeah so I think I was just antsy about finding out what was sure. next in store. Yep. And this is where you go up with someone you hadn't climbed with before, um, who you've said is a, was a competent climber, but like anybody else, if you just show up at the crag and hook up with a partner, you have no idea really what you're getting into. And it's, it's damn near impossible to not just be nerve wracked climbing with someone new, especially trying really hard with someone new. Yeah. And then it's amplified by the fact that you're on a big wall. You're in the middle of this mega project. Yeah, it was definitely the most gripped feeling that I've had in a while. And I think that that was compounded by all of these various factors of new climbing partner, just getting used to that. Um, me dealing with you know, the shining has this vertical sheer face and it's quite run out. So you're you're dealing with like big falls if you're right. falling. Yep. And and that's exposed on a big wall. So you feel even um further away from your bolt even if you're off the deck. Yep. Um and just fatigue. I don't think that I actually even noted the fatigue that I was experiencing, but what was odd about the whole project in its entirety was my circadian rhythm was so off because I would leave at, let's say, 5 a.m. one day and then be out all night until about 4 a.m. the right. next day. Right. And then I'd get home and have, like, dinner <laughs> at, like, 6 a.m. Right. And then go to bed at, like, 8 a.m. Mm -hmm. And then wake up, maybe it's, like, noon. You were on a rapper schedule. That's yeah. That's what was happening. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> just... <laughs> on no no routine yeah um so i think just like the taxation even of just the first week of just going really hard out the gates um got to me more than i even anticipated and i just remember that day that i was out on mount louis like i wasn't even comfortable lead climbing and right what's funny is like i get asked by people often do you get scared lead climbing ever and the answer is like yes yeah still mm -hmm. absolutely sure <laughs> um and i i think that one of my solutions to when i'm scared on a lead climb is like take fall just like let go and fall but then switch hitting that switch and saying like okay let go is so hard to do yeah um yeah and i you know my my wife has this issue where she gets really scared the first time up a climb yeah she she can be perfectly fine after she's learned the moves and then she can try hard and she can take falls but she's really scared and initially and doesn't believe me when i say i get scared too 
You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't believe it. She's like, you don't look scared. And I'm like, well, I'm terrified up there sometimes, you know? Yeah. The big difference, I think, between people like yourself, who it doesn't look like you're scared up there, and the people who are who are really scared and don't believe that you are, is that you've gotten really good at working through that process. You know, you know what it takes for you to get through being scared, and you can systematically work through that pretty quickly. And the other people, it might take them, you know, my wife, it takes her six or seven attempts on a route to not be scared of it anymore. Yeah. And even then, sometimes there's still intimidation, you know, but you can work through that in a few minutes sometimes. Uh, Yeah, I think it's so contingent on the climb. You know, like if I'm on a run out slab climb, maybe I'm scared the yeah, eighth try. Totally. Yeah. And I don't even want to try it if it's run out <laughs> slab like, climb. Just so. like envision myself <laughs> cheese grating down. I'm, I'm scared like, oh. enough that I don't get on it to begin Sounds with. Sounds like gnarly. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, after, after that day out on Mount Louis, you know, I was doing the crux sequence of just the shining, which is the the cut up version. Right. And I was in, it's like a series of Gaston moves where you're smearing your feet. And I was just like really not recruiting my scapular muscles and coming Mm -hmm. over chicken winged into my left shoulder. Rolling your shoulder forward. And I felt this like tinge in my left shoulder. And then it was just like growing throughout the day. And on a big wall, you're doing so much rope management. So just constantly like pulling and then flaking ropes and then there is like about there's 16 rappels from from that crux pitch down back down to the ground and after we got back from the rappels onto the hiking trail like even just having my backpack over my shoulder that strap was like oh my god i don't know what i did to my shoulder but i can't lift my left arm mm. so can coincidentally on social media, which brings me back One to like my love-hate. One of the good things of social media. Yeah, yeah my love-hate relationship with it <laughs> is this physio, who's the um, physio for the Canadian ski team, Fabian Moser, had reached out and was like, hey, if you need a physio while you're in Banff, hit me up. And I was like, indeed I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, Coincidentally. Yeah. Then I, I went in to see her the next day and um, she looked at it, treated it without putting a formal diagnosis on it, but kind of gave me like, think it's your AC joint. We'll check it up tomorrow to make sure. And there was a few other physios in there at the same time to kind of look at it as well. And since it was Banff, there's actually a large climbing community. And one of the physios, Nick, is a big climber as well who worked there. Um, And they diagnosed it as a one plus AC joint sprain, which, you know, isn't, isn't a two, isn't a three, three is total separation. And you're just really not psyched if you have like a grade two or grade three Two grade one plus is normally about four to six weeks recovery. Um, I wasn't about to take four to six weeks off. Uh, even though you're way ahead of schedule, even though I totally could have, (laughs) but I I think in my mind, I was like, I would lose, but you're a climber and I don't know any climber who's going to be okay with that. Yeah. Even just three weeks to me sounds like, whoa, that's a huge chunk of my, my son timber. Right. Totally. (laughs) So, um, I basically took off 10 days, 
which, you know, it's like a small amount, but to me it felt like a significant amount. Whereas going into physio every day and very um, routine about it, I was there mm-hmm. about three hours a day doing like shoulder mobilization exercises and also doing dry needling and um, manual therapy. So Fabian was super, super on it with my recovery, which I was like, just became good friends with her too from that that um, piece of time moving onwards. And what was cool is that I think on a climbing trip, what I experience and maybe other women experience too is there's a lot of like male energy if you're climbing with sure. men. And oh, <clears throat> I would love to have more female climbing partners, but just the way that this worked out, I was always around these like strong men. Mm-hmm. And like, that's fine. Um, but it's nice to have a girlfriend here and there and like yep. just kind of check out from talking about climbing or thinking about the project and just go to the farmer's market, go get your nails done, just be like a regular citizen. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, so through that, like, I think even just the mental checkout from the project helped me a lot with like recharging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's important because like you said, when you topped out on Warhammer, it's like, oh no, now this thing is real and I have to do this next one. And then it would have been really simple and no one would have faulted you if you had gotten hurt and been like, all right, going back to Boulder, I'll come back another time and, yeah. and try to do this thing. But that that recharge is probably a really good thing for you at that point. I, I think so. In retrospect, you know, one of my, um, I'm not religious. Uh, I do believe strongly in karma. And mm-hmm. I also strongly believe in everything happens for a reason mm-hmm. and trusting the timing of your life. And obviously there are critiques to that. I don't know why good thing, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. But overall, like there, I do believe that there's some rhyme and reason and greater meaning to an extent. Um, and the way that the timing was working out with this project in general was like, in retrospect, I think that that incident was probably a gift more so than a hurdle. Like me dealing with some sort of adversity um, <clears throat> made me check inwards with how I was doing just mentally with like what I was going through. And even like going through, I think the climbing partner changed the big adjustment that I was going from, from, okay, this is going to be my solid climbing partner for these three climbs to all of a sudden, who is my climbing partner? Jumping right, right into Warhammer, figuring out belay partners. It was just all like a big, a lot of changes like going on after, back to back. After Warhammer, I hadn't thought about this angle of it yet, but after Warhammer, was there a little bit of inflated ego too because warhammer went so easily and you're just like i am crushing all this shit oh yeah totally i I think that i i got to the mount louis thinking that it was going to feel easy Mm. easier Mm -hmm. um and what was interesting about the project in general the trilogy was that each climb presented such unique styles that doing 514 trifecta it's kind of like you need to just be able to fire 514 quickly while being fatigued so it's not like going up to the crag and being like cool i did three 514 a's today that's chill 
It's right. more like, well, I'm going to do like a lot of mileage, a lot of hiking, a lot of rope systems, and then try and do this pitch. Yeah, a um, different animal. So, yeah, it's, it's a different animal, um, <laughs> which I think Mount Louie, all of a sudden I was like needing to edge and smear and not be on this like kind of positive holds but gymnastic climbing like what was warhammer and mm-hmm. also in retrospect i think that warhammer was probably the easier one of the three um so yeah the ego is probably a little bit more confident than it was than when i did warhammer i was like whoa that's such a surprise right. whereas mount louis i think the first day i was like oh i expected to be able to like be cruising this more because it's like (laughs) more my style theoretically Mm. slightly overhung cramps and then why does this feel so hard (laughs) yeah it's funny what happens with our expectations you know on warhammer you didn't have the expectation of doing it yeah but then you did it so you carried that expectation over to something totally different you know and i think we all do that i have this this overall like life saying that I like to remind myself of like keep your dreams big and your expectations low mm, yeah um which I think would have been super applicable in climbing too and yep. it is <laughs> yeah for sure um but yeah so so after taking that time off um I kind of went back out to Mount Louie and was just fully recharged to the yeah. point that I didn't really realize that I needed that rest so badly. Um, and I went with this guy, Peter Hung, who ended up being the photographer that I worked with afterwards. But anyways, I had met him over pizza with Mike Doyle, mm-hmm. like one night. And then I was like, you want to go out to Mount Louie? You want to blame me for 18 hours? Yeah. <laughs> like the biggest trooper of the trip. Um, and and it, it was a hilarious day because it was actually my third day at Mount Louie. I had gone out to Mount Louie once with Mike Doyle, then the second time with Dexter, which is when I hurt my shoulder. And mm-hmm. then this is third day out on it. And um, I think I just felt mm. more more fresh than I had the previous day. And your expectations were a little lowered. My expectations were in the dirt. (laughs) 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 I was basically like, I'm just happy to be lead climbing, like Mm -hmm. and lifting my left arm. Like I can move it. That's awesome. Um, I went through, it starts out with two, like kind of like pretty hard five twelves that are run out and heady. And I got to the base of the crux pitch. This is like the uncut, ver- this is the cut up version. Right. Um, and I told Pete, like, watch me. I need to fall. Got to take a big whip and break this fear that I have. Mm-hmm. And then I was climbing. I started out climbing the crux pitch, like super gripped and like not well. But I felt this better connection with the rock. And then all of a sudden I got through the crux and I yelled down at him like, Oh my God, I just got through the crux. And then he was like, Woo, take it to the top. And then I realized, like, I don't even know what I'm doing up (laughs) here. here. (laughs) (laughs) But then all of a sudden, there's like this mental shift of instead of being afraid of falling, I was because of the fall I would take, I was afraid of falling because I was like, I'm never getting through that crux in my life again. So this is my moment to send it because I can't do that again. That was my only chance. That was my chance. This is like a stroke of luck. I don't know how I did that. So then I was like, I got to the top and I sent the crux pitch and then it was like, oh my God, I can't believe that that just happened. Now we have to take it to the top. But um, 
then there was like, I on-sighted every pitch after that. Um, and Pete just, Pete was blaming me and then he would either follow the pitch um, and aid climb a little or Jumar the rope. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got back down to the car all said and done after rappelling down the diamond face and through the gully at 6.30 a.m. the next day. <laughs> so good, I was like... Good job being a mega trooper, Pete. <laughs> this guy wow. who I asked like after eating pizza <clears throat> with to come out on a climbing day with me is never going to speak <laughs> to me again. He actually ended up becoming one of my best friends up in Banff. And like, it's so funny how... I think like something that I'm thankful for of having not had a climbing partner through the trilogy, which is getting to know the community so yep. well. Yep. Totally. <clears throat> so you went back. Yeah. For yeah. The uncut version. So for that following week, I kind of really like, I learned from my shoulder injury that I needed to keep nursing that. Like it was, it was pushing it. Like me just going back out there with my AC joint still kind of messed up. And so I was like, I, I'll keep doing physio and go to the local sport climbing crags just to stay fit and mm-hmm. keep my psych high um, and <clears throat> have a little mental checkout. Because I learned from rushing between Warhammer to Mount Louis that I needed to have more inflicted like patience. Yeah. Um, and then I went back out with Mike Doyle and Pete. Pete came to take photos which I'm just impressed that he even wanted to come back to Mallory. <laughs> you like, this is just glutton like for punishment. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> the masochistic attitude. <laughs> and, uh, we, Mike, Mike and I, um, went up it the first day just to check out the, um, just to kind of like figure out how we were going to do the direct and like try for it. Mike still was trying the shining mm-hmm. and, um, we needed to figure out the system too of how it would work, like doing an 80 meter pitch. Um, and then one of you coming drag. back down and yeah, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> um, so we figured out that we, I was going to climb with two ropes and climb with one rope on a carabiner, one rope tied into my harness mm-hmm. and climb the first two pitches that are a part that you link together with that one rope. And I set three with the rope on the carabiner with the rope on the carabiner. Yeah. And I set two draws on two sets of draws on the last three draws of the final, um, second pitch to clip both ropes. Yeah, exactly. I clipped both ropes and then Mike had me on both ropes on belay. So what I essentially did once I got to the theoretical anchors, of the second pitch is I unclipped Dropped the carabiner. The carabiner rope. Yeah. Yep. Then I was just on that one rep, which was like a really heady transition. I was like, for wait, sure. you got me on this rope. That's like, <laughs> I haven't climbed with it all. And wait, did I clip it into anything? Cause right. like, then you'd be facing like a 60 meter fall, which I have anxiety even just thinking about. Yeah. Um, and then you're still like at the top of the 80 meter pitch, like, one of the cruxes of doing the uncut was the rope drag. Like you're mm-hmm. smearing on these negligible little edges and making these moves with like 25 plus pounds of rope drag. Um, yep. Just because by the time I got to the anchor of the uncut, like clipping the anchors, Mike had to take me off the Grigory to, mm. um, for wow. me to clip. But so 
kind of backtracking a little that first day back at the shining we just figured out the rope systems and then we bivied at the base so then the next day was when we went for the uncut and um mike went first and he fell and lowered back down and then i went for it i sent which i was like again super surprised low expectations yeah and then um, mike just supported me on my way to the top which was i was like it was awesome to be a part with like mike and pete um and we we actually linked up (laughs) with my friends from yosemite who were doing the cane route that day and they filmed the top of the route as we were coming over Mm, um cool and then we all rappelled down together. And then it got really real because that was like, whoa, the trilogy is actually like right. two out of three. This is like make it or break it for blue jeans. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I had been told that it was it was really challenging. I didn't know what to expect. Um, so did you go straight to blue jeans the next day? So I <laughs> we actually experienced, so, so there was like, Three, I think, distinct hurdles that I experienced with the trilogy. One, the first one was no climbing partner. Right. The second one was shoulder injury. The third was like insane heat and smoke that we were experiencing. In oh, Banff. right. Yeah, I remember you posting about this. Yeah, and it was <clears throat> uh, there was actually some statistics that were linking the amount of smoke in the air to the amount of cigarettes you would actually be smoking. Mm-hmm. So you're like, that's chill. It's like chain smoking eight cigs a day. Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Which actually really affected. Uh, that's I what all the like big wall climbers did back in the 70s. I know. I don't, I respect. <laughs> <laughs> so I, the <sighs> first day after like taking some days to just sport climb, recalibrate, get, catch up on some sleep and uh, nurse the shoulder still. Um, I went, I hiked to the top of Mount Yamnuska and I had a 200 meter static line that Yamnuska was the shortest of the three and I could hang my static line down to the ground and set it. So I had the whole route set on static. Mm, Um, and then I also set a portal edge at the base of the crux pitch because I was like, I have time. I'm going to be like, patient and I'm going to make this comfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was like the first day I didn't even climb. It was like 90 degrees and we went to the lake after setting the static line. And then the next, after a few days of rest and climbing at a sport crag while it was just super hot, I went and I tried, um, I went up from the bottom up to the um, 514 pitch. It starts with like three five twelve d's and then there's a five thirteen that's pretty technical um figured that out and then i got to the five fourteen pitch which was actually like a solid boulder problem which is totally different from like the 80 meter um techie climbing of mount louis right was all of a sudden like this climb breaks down to 14 moves and like i don't know if i can do that single move like it was like mm-hmm. a really aggressive pinch movement where i was like kind of chalking up non-holds to make them look like they were holds right it's like as long a good as you strategy. believe it, it, it yeah could work. yeah you can actually kind of <clears throat> make a really small hold look bigger than it is absolutely by putting a lot of chalk on it yeah we we used to joke about that in the gym all the time when yeah when people would be blowing off of footholds i would put a little chalk on it and it'd be like now it's a jug you yeah can, yeah can stand exactly. on it now you can do some mind tricks <laughs> yeah so um i i didn't know i didn't know what 
that climb was going to entail for me to be able to do it. I just was like, wow, I need to essentially climb as if I'm on the moon board for this pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I would say blue jeans direct might've been the most physically challenging while the mentally, the least challenging since it was only a two hour hike to the base versus Mount Louie. It took us like five hours. Right. Um, and then I think it was my sixth day on it that we had a little bit cooler temperatures. I had taken two days basically away from being outside. I was like holed up in my apartment that I was renting. Not, because smoke, not chain smoking? Not chain smoking, but like it was <laughs> such a weird dichotomy because we live our lives with this idea that you know, being outside and being active, not like the idea, it's actually like proven that like, you know, healthy acts, healthy lifestyle is an active outdoorsy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And during this era of smoke, it was the opposite. Like you didn't want to be active. You want to stay inside. So I was like experiencing these like cold symptoms is like really affects your sinuses, actually that degree of smoke exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then luckily the temperatures dropped we could almost see the mountain in its entirety even though it'd been like quite smoky still was a little bit like a whiteout. and we went out and um i actually went over to my physio's house for her to tape my shoulder which was kind of like a ritual thing i was doing i was using like the um protex uh k tape which actually yep. works quite well it's uh i've been surprised by that stuff i've never believed in it before yeah, I didn't believe in it the first time I tried it, and it was on my shoulder as well, and it was like instant relief. Yeah, it's like, crazy. Wow. It's it actually like I don't know how it works. Maybe it's magic, but and maybe it's whatever. a placebo. I I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if physios believe in it, I think that there's like some rhyme and reason to it. Um, and she was like, "I'm coming with you." So I was like, "Oh mm-hmm. wow, this is awesome!" Some cool. like moral support. Um, and my friend Devin was there to belay me. So essentially, since I had the whole route set on static lines, I climbed a pitch. She would Jumar the static, meet mm. me at the at the top of that pitch, and then I'd climb, she'd Jumar, it went like that. And yep. then everything was like I was firing. I went through the first five twelves, did the five thirteen relatively easily. Um, and then I was like, Whoa, this is this is like I feel like I can do this climb even though I hadn't sent the 514 pitch. Like I knew what to do and I knew I just had to really squeeze this section and like try really hard. And it was just like this mental switch of like, just go for it. Um, And so I'm climbing like I have like two of my tips are just like gushing blood and I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) and then I get to the top of it and it's like this like moment of, whoa, this is like, this is coming to fruition. Still had like a few more pitches to onsite, which I had never been up, um, but they were easy. Like the the final pitches of Blue Jeans Direct were actually, it was only like 5'10 and 5'11 climbing. So I was like, okay, if I could do those beginning pitches, this is like, I, the summit is near. Yeah. And uh, when I topped out of Blue Jeans Direct, it was like this really, really, um, just fulfilling moment of like this project that seemed so just like a pipe dream. And I set out like not just about like six weeks ago to go and like accomplish this. And now it just like came true and I can't believe it. Like that like 
pinch me feeling of discerning reality and what's happening was like pretty full on. Like it was, it was really, um, it was like one of those moments of like, this is why I do what I do. And this is what I, what I train for. And like moments like this are, are not common. And yeah, yeah, it was special. It didn't fully sink <clears throat> in for a few days either. I bet. And you know, I looking at it from the outside again, because that's how I could see it. Maybe that's, maybe this whole you know, going through these obstacles or having to clear these hurdles on your way through is part of why it resonated a little more with me than, than the other big wall stuff I've seen you do is because it was fairly clear this time there wasn't a support team out there, you yeah. know, and there wasn't, you weren't with a partner who, who could climb it if you couldn't, you know, right. it was just, this is Sasha's project. She's going to do this thing. And it certainly looks like from my viewpoint that she's going to get it done no matter what she's got to do to make that happen. And I, I didn't think, know that. I didn't have that view. <laughs> but that's how it looks. And, and I think that's what climbers in retelling their stories want to feel. Even though there's a lot yeah. of doubt in the moment, it very much climbing is very much a a sport of resiliency and mm -hmm. you know it's just what we do and maybe that's what made it look more real more authentic to me was that it was not supported by a big company that it was just you out there doing your thing i i think that that's totally accurate like it, it was a really empowering um probably the most empowering trip that i've had so far in my career and that's because I could take full ownership of it. Yeah. Um, you know, like last year I did this 8C big wall in Madagascar and Mora Mora. And I did that with Edu. And that was um, kind of part of this trend of whenever I would do a big wall, even though I was leading the crux pitches right. sending, yep. there would be this association with me climbing with this strong professional male climber where it was almost like this reattribution and sharing of the success. Whereas me having the sharp end of every single <clears throat> pitch and um, yeah, not, not having someone to share the beta with and not, not necessarily having the certainty of like, well, if I don't do this, then you take the lead type thing. It was like, if I'm going to get this done, then it's going to be me leading and you Jumaring and supporting me. Um, and feeling like there's no one who can say, well, she only did half of it or something like that. Like right. me just having uh, ha having the, the internal focal lens also pointed to time to really hone in and, and find it and be capable of it. And, and um, I kind of felt like this vulnerable lens as well, like... Um, exposing my audience to what my my goal was and not knowing if I was capable of achieving it. Right. At first I was a little hesitant um, <clears throat> to even say what I was training for. And then I had this moment, I think in, in about June when I realized it's so common that we only see people's successes. Yep. And this story, whether I do the trilogy or not, um, it should be a story 
as well if I don't, because that shows that you can set these goals and fail and still have gone for it and still have had a really special summer because I mean, when it breaks down to it, I'm super fortunate that I could be in Canada for two months climbing. Um, that's not something that people with, with a normal job per se could do. Um, so that was kind of my mentality. It was just go with the flow, try my hardest, see what happens. Yeah. And you know, it, when I was watching it all unfold, even without knowing as much of the story as I know now, um, and knowing the story just amplifies what I felt initially, knowing that the trip was initially planned with Edu and then that falling apart and still going through with it and then the injury and then all of that, especially coming on the heels of uh, this situation with you and Joe and the bullying online and the big drama that surrounded that, it looked to me like, like you were trying to prove something not trying to prove something like you were proving something to anyone who was doubting or naysaying and maybe to yourself a little bit too. I I think that, that proving to yourself is the bottom line, most important thing. And, and I think what something that I could do and what we could all do is like care less about what other people think. Mm -hmm. And, I think that I came off... Which is easier said than done. So much easier said than done. Yeah. Um, But what I came off from this summer feeling was this surge of confidence for myself that's made me feel a lot more connected to climbing than I ever have. And um, that's just because I think I scaled back and, and could just fully be focused on what I was doing without the chaos of everything else. And got to be kind of removed from everything and just climbing. And and that's what I really, like, that's how I started. Like, right. I think that sometimes when times get chaotic, it's it's important to remember what we always wanted to be back in the day. And, like, back in the day if when I met you at Hound Ears, like, I was just a little girl who loved climbing. And I didn't ever anticipate... Um, being a professional climber because I didn't really know what that looked like. And mm-hmm. I didn't anticipate um, being sponsored by Adidas or working with Red Bull. Like I think all of this has been a part of this journey that I'm just creating. And I don't know where my path is taking me, but it's it's kind of like putting your best foot forward and also staying true to what your genuine motivation is, is, is a guiding principle, but it's easy to get drawn into some um, overextending yourself and mm-hmm. and overcommitting. And I think like one of my mantras leading up into this month, because I have a lot of travel coming up, is um, take time, make time. And, and the idea of that is just taking time for yourself. And if you can't take time for yourself, then make time to take time for yourself and also for those who matter to you um because relationships like friendships and and otherwise like they all require a lot of work and time and energy and prioritization 
Yeah, totally. Well, I think the fact that you came back to the reason you loved it to begin with and you had that time to just be a climber. Yeah. I mean, I think that's huge. I get caught up in being a business owner and being a coach, being a trainer, hosting podcasts, and I often forget to just be a climber again, you know, so I imagine that that was probably a pretty damn good feeling and I'm I'm glad you did and I'm glad you didn't become one of those little burnout teenage kids, <laughs> you know? Glad you're still around. So Yeah, not not <laughs> planning on going anywhere. Good. Well, thanks for sitting down with me. I appreciate yeah, thank it. You. And for for talking openly. Absolutely. You know, I know with the the media storms that you've endured recently, I know it can be tough to open up so I appreciate I, it I think that's opening up and being transparent is the the strongest way to move forward yeah. so I appreciate you listening yeah thanks Sasha yep huge thanks again to Sasha for taking the time to have this conversation um, she didn't have to and I think it's something that people needed to hear and I wanted to hear it and Frankly, I went into this conversation really hoping that I'd read the situation correctly, um, but being open to being wrong, and Sasha was very open to discussing it, and I appreciate that. Maybe what I'm most happy about is that she's obviously hungry for more and capable of more, and I expect she'll surprise us again. You can find Sasha at sasha-dejulian.com or go to the link in the show notes in your podcast app right there in your pocket supercomputer. Or you could just open the internet. You're likely to find her. As for us, check out the new things. Circuit tape, new ebooks. You guys, the core ebook is finally here. Almost. Check for it. And everything else at powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Pinterest, at Power Company Climbing. And you can check for us on the Twitter. You can look for Circuit Tape there. You might find some links to it, but you're not going to find us because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles.
So, um, sorry I rambled too. You didn't ramble at all. No. Okay. That was great. That was perfect.